0: Today we're talking about designing crafting mechanics for your game. Hey everyone, welcome to the 55th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore and tune in for Game Dev Twitch streams at twitch.tv slash Zachavelli underscore. We also have an open community Discord. It's a place where beginner and intermediate devs can congregate and talk about the craft of game dev. I'll leave the open invite link in the show notes. Lastly, I did want to mention that we do have a Patreon, and it's the best way to support the show. And if you back the Patreon, you get to vote on episode topics and get a special Discord role. Please go check that out. Uh, I'll leave a link for that as well in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners, and it's usually in the form of some kind of 15 to 30 minute exercise meant to reinforce the themes and lessons of the show. If you remember, last episode was about the MDA framework, and I asked you guys to break down a game idea or an already existing game with the MDA framework. So, there were a few good posts that did a really good job of breaking down games or coming up with their own ideas from a mechanics, dynamics, and aesthetics standpoint. So, yeah, the winner of the episode 54 Game Dev Challenge is Bastis. And I believe that's two weeks in a row, so Bastis is now on a two win streak. I think the most ever was three, so I hope Bastis does um, this episode's Game Dev Challenge, but let's read Bastis's episode 54 Game Dev Challenge post. It says, I've been thinking about an idea for a pool game, and I'll analyze it using the MDA theory. I will pick a few aesthetics, then for each one I'll go through the dynamics and mechanics before moving on to the next aesthetic. So the first one he says is, Aesthetics um, challenge. This is an obvious one. The player experiences challenge by trying to win, but also by learning to master difficult techniques and shots. By the way, uh, some people call pool billiards, so that's what we're talking about. Uh, it's not like a swimming pool. <laughs> it's like uh, billiards with the cue and the eight ball and all that. Anyways, after the challenge aesthetic, it says action. Not one of the original eight aesthetics, but... Give the player a rush with adrenaline-filled action. This is how the game stands out from other pool games. So the dynamics relating challenge. The player plays pool, trying to pocket their balls before the opponent. The player has a variety of techniques to use and master to achieve this. This leads to mechanics of having a pool table, the balls, the physics system, controls and interface for aiming, shooting with variable force and applying spin, and opponents with AI of very difficulty. The action aesthetic leads to the dynamic of the game is played at a high pace, with the player using several unrealistic skills to perform cool and satisfying shots. This leads to mechanics of the game is played with two cue balls, and instead of being turn-based, you have a cooldown timer of approximately one second before you can hit the ball again, even if it's still moving. The player also has access to skills like ball jumping and super spin. Bastis then goes on to a second iteration where they add fantasy and fellowship and its associated mechanics and dynamics. But basically to paraphrase it, it uh, comes down to adding multiplayer and having the fantasy of feeling like you're in a pub setting. What really takes Bastis's post to the next level is that they also added a little flowchart. I think the flowchart does a really good job of showing how the mechanics lead to the dynamics, to the aesthetics but also the way to think about it, which is the other way around. um, It just makes a lot of sense when put into a flowchart. And yeah, I think this is a really cool uh, idea for a billiards or pool game. It kind of reminds me of maybe the Mario Golf or Mario Sports series where you can kind of do unrealistic, action-oriented, almost even fantastical sports things. So yeah, I would really (laughs) like to see this game played. Uh, But even if it never gets made, it's a really good example of designing with the MDA framework and something you should definitely go check out if you were having trouble understanding the last episode. So congrats to Bastis for two wins in a row and winning the Episode 54 Game Dev Challenge. For Episode 55, I'd like you to pitch a game with a deep crafting system. Later today we're going to talk about the differences between a shallow and deep crafting system. And yeah, this is a pretty open-ended question, but I think it gives you a lot of space to operate and be really creative. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is going to be a close look at a specific mechanic and I'll remind you that the second ever episode of the Game Dev Field Guide was also in this sort of style. It was a close look or deep dive on jumping mechanics in games. and I went through the game design and some technical and art aspects and I chose jumping mechanics because I thought it would reach and be valuable to a broad audience of game devs. This is because almost every game with a character controller has jumping. Well, if we're talking about broad mechanics that a lot of games have, I think definitely near the top of that list is crafting mechanics. It's definitely one of those mechanics that has spread into many genres becoming more of a mainstay thing in all of video games rather than just a specific genre. And although we may not be at the peak of the crafting craze and it's had a little bit of a downtrend recently, I think it's still a very relevant topic for all game devs because there's a ton of lessons to be learned around it amongst many of the game dev disciplines. So yeah, today I hope you walk away with the understanding of crafting systems, their overall design, and ultimately whether or not you want to use this mechanic for your game projects. So let's start. First off, let's talk about what is a crafting system. In general, a crafting system is any kind of mechanic where the player collects materials and combines them to create something that progresses the game. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but Zaccavelli, that's an extremely broad definition. I mean, by that definition, couldn't you say an item shop and currency are a form of a crafting system? I mean, after all, you do collect the coins and combine them in a shop to create something that helps you progress the game. And I would say, you're absolutely right. And thinking down that path leads us to the first problem of crafting systems, and it's what I like to call the box check crafting system. And I call it that because it's like you looked at a list of what's in video games, and you saw that crafting was in a lot of popular ones, and you made a checklist with crafting on it because you saw it in other popular games, and then when it goes to be implemented, you grab the very general definition of what I said earlier, basically gather to create to progress, and the player finally plays the game and the crafting system feels tacked on or clumsy or just inconvenient. I think if you've been in the video game hobby the last five years, you have played a game where there is crafting and it just kind of felt exactly how I said, tacked on or clumsy or maybe be just like a side thing. and The reason I think it feels that way is because it's just kind of a worse shop system. Think about their parallels. You gather coins or wood to go to a shop or crafting station to buy or create an item. It's basically the same exact thing with different flavor text and aesthetics. It feels inconvenient and tacked on because it is. You basically have unstreamlined the progression Where the player has to focus on multiple currencies. Pretty much currency and crafting materials are interchangeable as far as their mechanics go in these sort of box check crafting systems. And I'll fully admit that some games make this tacked on box checked crafting system work, and we're going to talk about maybe why that is in a bit, but I wanted to identify that as the first major problem because I think it lays the foundation for later, and it's kind of a great example and teaching moment from last episode, actually. Remember last episode we talked about the MDA framework and how you should use it in reverse to come up with a game idea? That is, start with the aesthetics and the feelings you want your game to evoke, figure out what dynamics lead to that, and what mechanics you need for those dynamics. The box-checked crafting system happens when you start with mechanics and try to go the other way around with MDA. That is, starting with the mechanics. In other words, you started with a checklist of things to have in your game, crafting being one of them, and you tried to find a place to shoehorn it into the dynamics of the game, and it led to the aesthetics of a tacked-on, or inconvenient system. Now you might be asking, why did I start the intro of this episode to crafting systems with a negative example? It's because I think it illustrates the idea of depth being an important factor to a crafting system. You know me, and you know I love classifications, taxonomies, and spectrums. And I would say there is a deep versus shallow spectrum when it comes to crafting systems. And there's a gray line somewhere on that spectrum when going from shallow to deep, where the game goes from being a game with crafting in it, to a game where crafting is part of the core experience. Like all things on this show, these aren't hard rules, and I think shallow crafting systems can work. But if you're considering a crafting system for your game, I want you to really think about that spectrum and that gray line. We will be contextualizing the examples and core ideas today with that deep versus shallow spectrum, so I think it's important to understand. Okay, let's move on to the next subject, which is inputs and outputs for crafting systems. You can sort of think about this from the game design standpoint of the inputs are literally the player's decisions and the outputs are their levels of progress. You're just abstracting those things with themes and other mechanics of the game. For example, if you're making a jungle survival game your inputs are the thematic materials like wood, stone, and plants and your outputs are thematic game mechanics like shelter, food, and water. If you're making a sci-fi shooter, your inputs are thematic loot and components like a custom sight, ammo, or computer chips, and your outputs are thematic game mechanics like gun customization and tweaking efficiency. It's important to consider what kinds of inputs and outputs you're really after and how they serve the game. Another important factor to consider when it comes to inputs and outputs is the quantity of these things. Each have important trade-offs to consider. Lots of inputs are good because they give the player a constant stream of collectibles that give a lot of meaning to the environments they're in. They help cut down on that empty feeling of the environment because the player has something to find and collect and connect with the world. But too many inputs can also be overwhelming, and make the inputs themselves lose significance. You might find that the player stops caring because there's stuff everywhere. Lots of outputs are good because it gives the player options and agency over progression and game mechanics. But too many can also be overwhelming, confusing, and sometimes pointless. When it comes to quantities of inputs and outputs, you want to make sure that they're balanced. And that balance is not only going to depend on those tipping points that I just mentioned between enough and too much, but also based on the balance of the pace of the game. For instance, I don't mind mining lots of stone or chopping a bunch of wood, in other words a bunch of inputs, if the game is a slower paced strategy or survival game where I have time to think about my plans and take in the environment. But I don't want lots of inputs in general if the point is to craft more ammo for my gun in a fast paced shooter. In a fast paced shooter, you can probably consolidate a lot of the crafting materials for a bullet so that you have fewer inputs. Like, instead of collecting the brass for the casing, the lead for the bullet, the gunpowder, fuel for the machine that makes them, instead of doing all that, it would be better to consolidate the inputs to just two, like the bullet in the casing. This allows you to have the benefits of having the things for players to collect, but it also matches the pace of the game and doesn't bog it down. It would be really awkward if it was a fast-paced shooter, and then you had to go on this crazy collect-a-thon, where you had to mine your own lead and gunpowder and make brass and all of that. I think The Last of Us is a great example of a more fast-paced, maybe even shallow crafting system. Like if you put it on the spectrum, I think it's probably closer to that shallow crafting system on the deep versus shallow spectrum. But it's got to be one of the best shallow crafting and fast paced systems ever. There's actually a really great medium.com article about this and I'll leave a link to that in the description. But basically the Last of Us crafting system is great for three reasons. It's quantity of inputs and outputs, the balance and pace, and the UX or user experience. First off, the quantity is low relative to other games. There's seven inputs and six outputs, or basically seven raw materials and six things to craft. There's enough inputs to make exploring the side areas of the linear levels worth it, and enough outputs to give the player a lot of flexibility on overcoming the game's challenges. It also gives the player interesting decisions. Do you want to use that alcohol and rag to make a deadly Molotov cocktail, or a life-saving health kit? Both these decisions are only interesting if the balance and pacing of the inputs are dialed in. And to solve this, the game actually reads the state of the player's inventory to decide how much raw supplies to spawn into the world. This keeps the crafting always interesting and the supplies always valuable, because the game makes sure that you never have too much or too little. Lastly, the UX or user experience of crafting is done quickly and simply. It's not a drawn out, menu heavy process, instead you can craft whatever you need in a few button presses without stopping the action. This lets you use the outputs to their full potential, as you can craft them in the moment when you need them, but it doesn't stop the action and take you out of the game to do so. UX is an important thing to consider and something that I think often gets overlooked in crafting systems. Bad crafting systems are often bogged down with menus upon menus and you're just turning icons and numbers into other icons and numbers. A good crafting UX can take a bogged down and boring crafting experience and turn it into something fun and interesting. For example, let's take a look at the crafting system in Minecraft. On the spectrum, I think I would put this more towards the deeper crafting end. And it's definitely past the gray line where crafting is not only part of the game, it is core to the experience. Minecraft has a high quantity of both inputs and outputs. And it would be an absolute nightmare if you had to navigate all of them with some sort of drop-down list or sub-menu system. Instead, Minecraft keeps the user experience very simple with an easy grid combination system. Put your inputs into a pattern and it makes your output. It's simple, unique, and easy to use other than the fact that you have to memorize all the patterns. But there's a certain charm in memorizing the recipes. It's like knowing how to cook your favorite food and you don't have to measure out all the ingredients, you can just do it. The crafting is a bit deeper and more memorable and fun because there's a small amount of skill and knowledge required. You can deduce certain recipes by placing things in the grid, that makes sense given the shape and context. A sword, for instance, is a straight line with a stick at the bottom and two raw materials at the top. It sort of makes the shape of a sword. If you change the raw materials at the top, then you have a new kind of sword. You can start with a wooden sword, which is a stick and two wooden blocks, or you can move on to an iron sword, which is a stick and two iron. It's that little bit of skill and knowledge that can be used to discover new recipes and that really improves Minecraft's crafting system and makes it what it is. And what it is is perhaps the greatest crafting system in a game ever. It is something that is beautifully designed in its simplicity, also in its depth. And I'm surprised more games don't do a similar crafting mechanic. I think introducing some element of skill in a crafting system can really move the mechanic further down that spectrum towards the deep crafting systems. It doesn't feel so tacked on when there's gameplay centered around it. Whether it relies on player knowledge like Minecraft or maybe even a minigame that relies on your actual skill, it not only adds depth and fun, but it's a good chance to increase the aesthetics of your crafting system as well. For instance, a smithing minigame could be centered around striking a piece of hot iron in the right spots. Not only does this make for a fun minigame, but it also allows you to give the player that feeling of actually striking and shaping iron. Now you do have to be careful with this, meaning the minigame thing, because I think it can go a little far. I think Red Dead Redemption 2 is a good example of it going too far, not so much with the minigames, but definitely with the aesthetics and simulation of their crafting. Red Dead Redemption 2 focuses on aesthetics of their crafting system so much that it actually simulates some of the tedium of real-life crafting. Like, the pelts and animal skinning system in the game is interesting and cool. Basically, you have to stalk the animal and shoot it in a way that you don't ruin the pelt. Then you go to your kill and skin it, and this beautiful and accurate and long animation plays. And the first time you do this, you're like, wow, this game is amazing. It has amazing attention to detail. That is exactly how you would skin an elk. But sooner or later, when you need to collect a lot of pelts, that long skinning animation becomes really annoying and tedious. And like I said, it's more like actually crafting something which has some tedium attached to it. Now this brings up a whole other conversation about realism, simulation... And whether or not we should bring the tedium of real life into our games and the experiences we're trying to simulate, uh, I think that conversation is for another time. But I think this example illustrates the danger of making the crafting too tedious with mini games or simulation aesthetics or just things <laughs> that are annoying in general. Like, if your game centers around crafting a lot of stuff... A minigame every time you want to make something might be a bad idea. You might want to focus more on crafting like a hundred things at once with one minigame. This kind of goes back to the idea of balancing the pace of the crafting system with the game. And I think it's true for both deep and shallow crafting systems. If you can work out that balance, then deeper crafting systems can open the door to a lot more interesting mechanics from both a design and gameplay standpoint. I think not ruining the pelt with a misplaced shot in Red Dead Redemption 2 is a good example, and I hope you can see with these examples in general what works for different kinds of crafting systems. For shallow crafting systems, it's often low-quantity inputs and outputs that are fast-paced with good UX that flows within the game. I personally much prefer deeper crafting systems and the kinds of things that work for these are more quantity with inputs and outputs, skill-based crafting with mechanics built around and dedicated to crafting. I had this idea about what the ideal deep crafting example is to me, and I thought of a dynamic that I don't know if it's present in any games. At least not in any games that I know of. The ideal deep crafting system to me allows the player to express their ingenuity and knowledge of the game with the way that they craft things. Like, imagine a game with such a deep crafting system that the player could say, I like to use this material and fashion my daggers like this because it's more durable, and a different player says, oh that's cool, I make mine this way because it's quicker. The only thing I've seen close to this is the base building in games like Minecraft, Fortnite, or Rust. Everyone kind of has their designs that they like for the certain advantages. And I just wonder if there's a game out there that does that, but for crafting items. If you know a game like that, please let me know. A good place to do that would be in the episode discussion channel on the community Discord. Anyways, let's go over what we talked about today. Today's episode was about crafting systems, they're a very common mechanic spread through a lot of games these days, and unfortunately to me, a lot of them feel like they're checkbox crafting systems, where they were basically put in the game just to check the box, uh, does it have crafting. A telltale sign of this is if it functions exactly like the shop mechanic, but instead of getting gold and exchanging it for items, you get crafting materials and exchange it for items. These are examples of shallow crafting systems, which are opposed on the spectrum to deep crafting systems. Somewhere in that spectrum of crafting systems, uh, there's a transition from being something that's tacked onto the game to becoming part of the core experience. Remember we talked about inputs and outputs. At the very highest level, the inputs are about giving the player a reason and a reward for exploring the game, and the outputs are about rewarding that player by giving them things that will help with progression. We talked about two key things when it comes to inputs and outputs, that is quantity and pace. You can easily think about this by considering the differences between peacefully chopping wood in a Minecraft forest, versus frantically looking for some alcohol to sterilize a rag to use as a bandage in The Last of Us. Remember the value of good UX when it comes to crafting. Poor menu navigation is something that often brings down crafting systems, and skill or knowledge-based crafting systems can make them much deeper and more interesting. Just remember to try and avoid making them tedious. And the last thing to remember and this is more of a personal thing, but I think it'll help you better understand. To me, the ideal deep crafting system allows the player to express their knowledge and ingenuity. Any good crafting system allows the player to show off their skill, and when you think about it, that means that crafting systems are just like a lot of other game systems. They're all about giving the player ways to express themselves whether that be through skill, knowledge or creativity. With that I'm going to end the show. Yeah, if you have an idea of a game where there's that uh creation and ingenuity and knowledge uh for crafting things that are like items and not just bases, let me know. The best place to do that is probably on the Discord or you can do it on Twitter. That's at underscore Zachavelli underscore. I've also been streaming a lot more on Twitch. That's at twitch.tv slash Zachavelli underscore. We uh, just finished all the code for my game Bounce Shot. So yeah, I'm looking forward to releasing that soon. I'll probably start doing more promos on the episodes for that. I probably should do that. Um, But yeah, go check out Bounce Shot on Steam. You can wishlist it today. And I guess, yeah, that's everything I've got. With that, I'm gonna sign off. I have been Zaccavelli, and I think I could skin a real-life animal faster than the animations in Red Dead Redemption 2.